Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. We had a we had church in his building for quite some time, and God blessed us with this man. Amen. We love him. Amen. And uh, he even told me he's going to buy my lunches from now on. <laughs> I think I'll schedule it every day. <laughs> oh, love him. Love, I'm so glad you're here, my friend. Amen. Amen. Second Kings, the eighth chapter and the first verse. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'll read a couple of verses and then just preach the word as I feel like God has given me. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go thou. And thine household. And sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called a a famine. It was a sinful people and God was bringing judgment upon the land. He said, you need to find a place to go. He didn't really tell her where to go. But he said, you need to find a place to go. And it shall come upon the land for seven years. It's going to be seven years of famine. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. I'm going to preach today seven years with the Philistines or how God is a God of restoration. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you are here blessing this church. And I pray right now that you will let your anointing power be upon me as I preach your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Now, I will say this, that hanging out with the Philistines is never a really good thing. In the best of times. When they are reasonably friendly, it was not a good thing. When there was no other choice, it seemed like, spending time with the Philistines always seemed to backfire. Philistines were people in the land that uh, were a seafaring group of people that had probably come from somewhere in the midst of the Mediterranean. They say possibly Crete. And they had come to that part of the land. They were very, very, very warlike. They were very uh, idolatrous. And they. it always seemed like when you were in their midst, something seemed to go wrong. Abraham 
found that out when he came into the land and he met a king by the name of Abimelech and, uh, and forgot to tell folks that Sarah was his, his wife and, uh, and found his wife taken away for a little while until God intervened. His son Isaac dealt with the same situation, probably with the son of this Abimelech, another king named Abimelech in the same land, a land of the Philistines, and, and, um, and had to get things straightened out there. And then there, was, there became a contention between the servants of, of the people of Israel and, uh, and the, the Hebrews there and the Philistines. And so from then on, the Philistines were a thorn in the side of Israel. From the very get-go, they were a thorn in the side of Israel. When, the, when Israel came back to the land of Canaan from Egypt, uh, it was on like Donkey Kong with the Philistines then. It started out, uh, there were five lords uh, of the Philistines that constantly contended with them. The Bible tells us that various judges uh, dealt at one time or another with the Philistines. They were constantly showing up and causing problems. There were, there were the children of Ammon, there were Amalekites, and there were Moabites, and there were Midianites, and a variety of other people that came around to give Israel trouble. But the Philistines uh, were a constant. Uh, they were dependable. Amen. Amen. I have a little pistol that I tell people it is the most dependable gun that I have. You can depend on it either not to shoot, to misfire, or to jam every time you pull the trigger. Amen. The Philistines were like this. Uh, amen. You could depend uh, on them that when you came in contact with them, there was going to be trouble. Amen. Remember, it was the Philistines uh, that Samson fought against. Uh, it was the Philistines that he took the jawbone, uh, amen, of a donkey, and he went to work on them. It was a Philistine woman that he like an absolute idiot took a look in or interest in, married her and caused tons of problems uh, for himself uh, and his family. Uh, amen. And on and on and on this went. He battled with them. He fought with them. And at last uh, they paid off uh, a woman, a prostitute if you will named Delilah to find out where the source of Samson's strength was. Uh, and he died at the hands of uh, of the Philistines. They took him, they plucked his eyes out, they put him at a, at a grind where they begin to grind the wheat, and there he died at the hands. Actually, they died at his hands, but they all died together. Amen. He pushed the building down. Amen. And so on and on, it was not too much longer after that that the Philistines came. They they beat up on Eli's sons. They killed them, and they took the Ark of the Covenant, and, and it just continued on. Saul dealt with them. He fought with the Philistines, and, and David came along and killed their champion, Goliath of Gath. Amen. And then David compromised with the Philistines and ran there when he was running from Saul, and he became, if you will, a mercenary for the Philistines, did things that he should not have done. Amen. After a while, they didn't trust him anymore, and they kicked him out, and then they destroyed uh, Saul's family, killed Saul's family, wounded him, and he died at his own sword. So hanging around with the Philistines always cost a lot. Amen. 
Sojourning among them always cost. Uh, the, the Philistine spirit will strip a person of their character, the things that he or she loves, their integrity, their heritage. It, there's just something about that spirit, amen. It keeps us from reaching our potential. Something that's fascinating is the Philistines had moved into the Iron Age, but they kept the Hebrews in the Bronze Age. <laughs> amen. They kept them from reaching their uh, potential, and, uh, and, 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 and you just lose everything. Amen. Samson lost everything. Even Hezekiah had he lost everything. I mentioned earlier that some historians feel that they originated from the island of Crete, that they came on ships. As I said, they were seafaring people, and they came to the coast of Canaan. And it's funny. Now, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but it's funny because even in Paul's day, he wrote this in Titus 1 and 12 about the Cretans. Uh, he said one of themselves, uh, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, uh, evil beasts, slow bellies. Uh, and you wonder if there may have been a connection between these two peoples. In fact, they say there probably was. Uh, today, if you refer to someone as a Philistine, you're talking about a lowbrow, uncultured, and unwashed heathen. Uh, Amen. And uh, it's just, it's just there's something about that spirit. It is always in contention, amen, with the things uh, of God. Uh, amen. They had all kinds uh, of gods. They had Dagon. They had uh, Astrith. Uh, they had Baal. They had, they had Astarte. They had a variety of gods that they, they worshipped, and they hated the God uh, of the Hebrews, uh, and they fought against him every tense they had. So we come to this story. We come to a Shulamite woman. And, uh, and it, in many ways, it is a beautiful, beautiful story because it is a story of restoration. Amen. It's such a story of restoration. You come, and you've heard this preached multiple times. And you've heard the story of this woman. She was a woman of great report. No doubt she was wealthy and um, a notable lady there. And she noticed that the prophet would come through on a regular basis. And she told her husband, I believe that we need to build a room for him. We need to, to make a space. Somebody recently, I don't remember where I heard it, but somebody made a statement. He said that when she did that, she was, she was creating space for a miracle. Amen. And he, she said, we, we need to make a, a space for him. So they built a little room on the, uh, um, on the wall of their house. And it was, a, it was an evangelist quarters. Amen. And uh, they, uh, they built it there and they put a bed and no doubt a desk and a table and uh, a place, uh, a mini fridge. Well, maybe they didn't have a mini fridge. They may not, amen, have had a mini fridge. They just moved to the Iron Age. They hadn't quite got to electricity. So I would imagine it was probably, there was probably a larder there. They had a little bit of food and stuff like that. And so every time the, the prophet of God would come through town, he had a place to stay. He had food to eat. Amen. It was warm. 
warm uh, in, in the winter and, and, a, and there was a bed with a blanket and a pillow and all of that sort of thing. And we hear the story how Elisha came to her one day and he made a statement. Uh, he said, about the season according to the time of life, uh, you're, you, thou shalt embrace a son. Now, you need to understand a little bit of the scenario of this story. And it was that this woman was barren. And especially in those days, uh, barrenness was a curse, if you will. You can look at Hannah. You can look at uh, at Rachel. And and the, when they were barren, it was it was a, a horrible thing. And this woman was barren. She could not have children. We don't know why it was. Uh, we don't know whether it was his problem or her problem. But they had a problem, and he she could not have children. And it was a heartbreaking situation for the Shulamite woman. She wanted. More than anything else, she wanted a child. She wanted to give her husband a son, and she desired this so much. But but for whatever reason, she was unable to bear children. Amen. But God began to work right in that situation. Amen. He began to work. Amen. A, 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 a act of restoration, restoring. You see, when a woman could not have a child, she lost value as a woman. But now God says, I'm going to restore that value. I'm going to give something that is so important. The thing that you felt you should have had and you can't, I'm going to restore to you. Amen. It's a beautiful story. And she she says, oh, oh, prophet, you, you're not leading me on, are you? No, no, no. You're going to have a, a, a son. And, and, uh, and she did. She had the baby, and oh, I, I know that most of you that have had children, amen, the, some of the greatest joy in your life are those children. One of the things that I love about this church is the amount of young children there are. Beautiful, beautiful little monsters running around all of the time, amen, snotty nose and all, and they're just absolutely beautiful. We have the most beautiful. We're not talking about you, Joel. Amen. They were looking at you like you might have been one of those. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He's learned how to use Kleenex. But um, we have the just beautiful children running. It's just gorgeous. I think we have the most beautiful kids in the world right here in this church. It's a wonderful thing. And she raised this little boy up. He was the light of her life every day. Amen. Whether she was whether she was running in the fields with him or playing in the playroom or changing his diaper. It was everything that she wanted. And she had this little boy. And God had restored to her. Amen. There was joy that he had given her. Amen. There, there was there was just this this peace and this this value and this this great feeling that she had when she was with that child. The child grew up and of course he began to connect with his dad and go out into the field teaching him to work. Amen. And um, and uh, it was it was a great thing. But one day the scripture tells us uh, how that that they went out in the field and and the boy was there and undoubtedly it was a warm time. The, the sun was hot. The heat began to bear down on the boy. And it's likely that he suffered a sunstroke or heat stroke out there in the field. He told his dad, he said, my head, my head. And his dad said, take him back to his mama. They took him back to his mama where his mama could to comfort him. But, but when he got there, the boy passed away. There's an interesting thing that happens here. Amen. Typically, 
Let me explain to you what usually happens in a society like that or what they would usually do. Almost immediately when someone dies, they would take that person and they would prepare them for burial because they didn't have embalming liquids. They didn't have uh, cold freezers and all that sort of stuff. I guess they did in Egypt. They had some sort of embalming stuff, but I don't think they did there. But uh, they, they, would, they didn't have cold uh, storage to put them in. So because they would have the situation uh, that was mentioned whenever Lazarus died, Lord, he stinketh, uh, amen, they would do something quickly about him. They would, pile, they, would take, they would take different perfumes and ointments and cover the body up with that to keep the stench from getting too bad and wrap him in burial clothes and prepare him right now for burial. She did not prepare him for burial. She took him, she carried him to the bed of the prophet, she laid him down, and she prepared him for a resurrection. Uh, amen. Uh, I want you to understand something. A lot of times, uh, your life and your situation, you have already given up uh, on it. You've already laid it aside. You felt like there is no hope for you, uh, and you're about ready to bury all your hopes and your dreams Amen. And your plans. Amen. And the, the walk with God. But what you need to do is take that and not prepare for burial, but prepare for a resurrection. Hallelujah. 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 This lady, she had already had a taste of restoration. She already understood that God worked uh, in this area. She already had an idea that, that if, if God gave me this son, God can give it back to me. Amen. If God did, did one miracle, amen, I know that God can do another miracle. Amen. I know that I shouldn't even have this boy, but God did it. Uh, praise the Lord. The Bible says something that is fascinating to me. It talks about the year of Jubilee. During the year of Jubilee, all all the land, uh, amen, that was that was leased out, and basically it was leasing, that was leased out or somebody got, uh, that went away from a family. In the year of Jubilee, that land was all returned back to them. But the fascinating thing, I don't remember exactly how it says it in Leviticus, the fascinating thing that, that, that caught me was it said, for the land, God said this, for the land is mine. You don't own the land. She don't own the land. He don't own the land. I have the land. I'm going to tell you all something about restoration. When you begin to realize that God is in control of all of it, that your life is not your own, that your situation is not your own, that the problems you're going through, amen, God owns it. God is in control. God is able. So many times I've talked about it. We compartmentalize our life. We take that and we, we push it away and we've got little, little safe boxes in our psyche, if you will. We open this one and here is this vice that I deal with and, and I cannot seem to get it under control. So I'm just going to lock it here and maybe it will stay safe. 
And here is this, this attitude that I'm always, always coming up in my mind and my heart. So I'm just going to lock it away. Amen. Amen. And here, here is this, this lust that I harbor in me. I'll just lock it away. And the problem is, uh, is that when you lock these things away, you still got the key. And when the opportunity comes back, uh, amen, you open it up and it comes out and haunts you again. But Peter said, I wrote, I spent, preached about this not too long ago, casting all your cares upon him. Uh, amen. He said, take my yoke upon you. When we begin to understand that the issues we deal with and the problems we deal with and the sins we struggle with and the things we go through and the situations and the tribulations and the trials that we fought, God says, just give them to me. It's all mine anyway. I took it on the cross. Amen. So this lady had a taste of restoration already. She had an understanding. She just like, everything's fine because God's going to take care of it. So Elisha comes in. You know the story. He lays on the little boy and prays and does it again. And boy sneezes a few times and, and uh, there he is. He's doing fine. Amen. What a great story. But then there's another part to the story of this lady a lot of people don't know about. Or they, they haven't noticed because it happens about four chapters later in the uh, book of um, 2 Kings. And, and, uh, and, and this all happens in the fourth chapter. But there's something that is mentioned in the eighth chapter, the, the, the text that I read, that a lot of people don't really you know, don't notice that much. And, and the scripture tells us there at the end, right near the end of the fourth chapter, that there was a dearth that came on the land. And a lot of historians and scholars feel that this is in reference, and, and everything is not always written in exact chronology chronological order in the scripture. You know, sometimes you'll get things put here and there just to, uh, you know, we're, we're, oh yeah, I want to tell you about this story, you know, and so on. And so a lot of scholars feel that that happened, uh, that the dearth in the land, the famine in the land that is mentioned in the fourth chapter of Second Kings is the same famine that is mentioned when Elisha comes and tells uh, the lady there's going to be seven years of famine in the land. And, um, and so... Um, so it's very likely that it's the same. And so somewhere after all of this stuff happened, all of these things went on. After the, the little boy had been restored, after he was healed, and you find the Bible tells us that, that later on he's in the picture. You'll find that in the 8th chapter of Second Kings. And after all of this stuff that, that happened, that, um, that um, Elisha came to her. And he says, there's going to be a famine in the land for seven years. And, and you need to take your household and, and, and you need to go find somewhere that's going to be a little more palatable to live, a little more, uh, a better place to live because it's going to be a tough situation. And, um, and the Bible doesn't mention at this point uh, that her husband was there. So it's possible that somewhere in the interim that her husband had died. We don't know. 
Um, he's never mentioned again in, in, the, in the text or in the scripture. But uh, so it's possible that he had died. And now she is in a situation where things are about to go uh, kind, of, kind of bad. So he says, you need to find somewhere. So she gathers up her house, her, her people, her, her family, her son, those that are around her. She gathers up as much belongings as she can. She puts them in a wagon or whatever it was they used to move at that time. Or they put them on their back and they move to the land of Philistia, which was where the Philistines lived. Now, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about what happened to her during the time that she was in the land of the Philistines. The Bible doesn't tell us that she did anything wrong. Uh, we don't see the kind of thing happened there that happened to Naomi when she went to the uh, land of Moab. But she went and she left her home um, for seven years, uh, amen, and was amongst the Philistines. Uh, now, I'm going to say this to you. The Bible doesn't say much about it, but I can guarantee you that when she walked into that situation, there was idolatry, there was sin, there was everything that was uh, anathema to what she believed. Believed. And although she stayed there and did her best for seven years, she had to deal with that. Amen. Like the Bible speaks of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, he was vexed by what was going on around him. And so for seven years, she had to deal with this. So at last, the seven years are over. The famine is over. And the scripture tells us in the eighth chapter that she comes back and she finds out that everything has hit bottom again her land is gone her home is gone her belongings are gone the increase of the land that she had somebody felt by her leaving and going to Philistia that she had forfeited her land and when she came back she come walking up and somebody else is living in the house and some other joker has got his cousin or brother-in-law living in the prophet's room. I'm just thinking maybe you never can tell. And she's like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, y'all squatters, y'all hear about squatters around? Y'all the squatters, that's my house. Here's a deed. Hey, man, it's been in my family forever and ever. And they're like, just go jump, jump in the lake, lady. It's our place now. We live here now. Did you have to paint it pink? <laughs> Hope none of y'all have pink houses. Did you, what in the world are you doing to my house? That's my land. That's my farm. That's been in my family forever. Well, it's too bad. We got it now. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen these people who go into houses where somebody it's not in them for a while. They're fixing them. They, they move in there and they, they move in as a squatter. And it's hard to get them out. Well, here she came and I don't know what all she did, but she, she probably went to the neighbors and said, hey, what's going on? And they said, well, nothing, nothing we can do about it. And maybe she went to the lo local magistrate and said, hey, them people have lived in our, in our house and like we can't do anything. And, and here's the deal about this situation. A lesser woman would probably have said, um, well, I guess that's it. Amen. I'm just going to throw in the towel. I'm going to clean the corners of the fields from now on. 
And maybe somebody will give me some handfuls of purpose. <laughs> a lesser woman might have said, well, maybe I could find, go down to the welfare office and get some food stamps. I'm never going to be what I used to be. I'm not gonna, never going to have what I used to have. It's been taken away from me. Amen. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm never going to have it anymore. I don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. She remembered some things. That God is in the business of restoration. That God is in the business of making things like they ought to be. Amen. And whenever you seem to have lost all, maybe because of your own, your own efforts or your own doing, maybe because you spent seven years amongst the Philistines, when you seem to have lost all, God is still in the business of restoration. I asked Sister Chandra if I could talk about her a little bit today. Most of you probably know the story, and I, I may get it wrong if I do. Y'all, she can correct me later on. Uh, she, she, you were in the church originally, years ago, and she backslid and walked away. Amen. Amen. She went out, hung out with the Philistines for a long time. I mean, there were some Philistines she was hanging out with, and. Sister Sandra, raise your hand in case nobody knows who you are. I mean, she was a mess. Amen. Brother Darrell says she's still a mess, but not quite, quite that bad. She was a mess. I mean, she was a mess. And she would go down to a little town by the name of Sells and, and pick up, I have no idea what they call them now. They were illegals, UDAs, there's other words we wouldn't use. They would pick up undocumented aliens, or I don't know what they call them now. They may call them all kinds of things. Citizens, yeah. But uh, <laughs> she, would, she, would, she would pick them up, a whole car, van load, I don't know what you were driving, pack them in there. And then she would drive them. She was a coyote. And she would smuggle them up to Phoenix and drive into the worst neighborhoods of Phoenix. Amen. This was not, this wasn't, you know, the nice areas of Scottsdale. These were bad areas. And there she would drop them off, sometimes waiting for a long time for anybody to show up. In an area, here, here is a young, young, attractive lady. Amen. And she's in the middle of Phoenix by herself with a bunch of UDAs and all kinds of garbage going on around there. And they would pay her $3,500 and eight ball of meth is what she would get. I think, am I getting that right? And then she would go back and do it again. Time and time again, she was stopped. She had beautiful teeth. She had meth mouth back then. And time and time she was stopped by the border patrol, by the police. And, and, and they would tell her, there were some compassionate people undoubtedly, if you don't stop, you're going to get yourself killed. And they would release her. 
The last time they took her and opened up a van full of very, very rough looking men and said, I could take you and put you in here and close the door and there's no telling what would happen to you. They were trying to scare her into stopping, but, 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 but she didn't. And at last they picked her up and put her in jail for a few months. But during the time that she was in jail, God began to do a work of restoration on her. Amen. God began to do a work of restoration on her. God began to pull her back out. You've been in the land of the Philistines for a long time. You've spent all of this time amongst the uncultured, unwashed heathen. Amen. You've picked up their ideas and their concepts. Amen. But I love you anyway, and I'm here to restore you. I'm here to give you back that what you, that you used to have. Amen. I still love you in spite of what you are. Aren't you glad that God loves us in in spite of us? Aren't you glad that God loves us in spite of us? Aren't you glad that God looked at me and looked at you and said, I'm going to change their life? I was young, but I knew what God wanted, and I repented of my sins. I believe it was probably about September the 1st, amen, in 1968. And on September the 8th, my daddy took me down to the San Joaquin River near Fresno, California, and baptized me in the precious name of Jesus like they did it in the book of Acts. And that night, as a young child, I walked to the front right about here. Amen. And the Montgomery's, they were evangelists, began to pray for me. And I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. You know what it was? Jesus loved me. Amen. And God is a God of restoration. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to close here in just a moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Joel, God told his people this. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness to spring, for the tree beareth her fruit. The fig tree and the vine to yield their strength. Be glad then, you child. He's talking about restoration is what he's talking about. He's talking about a people that have been torn apart by, by idolatry and everything else. And he's talking about restoration. And I believe that most of these scriptures, they apply to the people of Israel. But there is a future application to the people of God and to those that will seek God. Amen. Be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And he said, I will restore, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. Amen. I'm going to restore that to you. You'll eat in plenty and be satisfied. Amen. 
you'll know that I'm in the midst of Israel. I'm the Lord of your God. Amen. I'm going to restore to you what God, what has been taken from you. That lady came. She came to the king. Everything was gone. But she came to the king. I'm going to tell you all something. When everything else has failed, just come talk to the king. Hallelujah. When you've talked to everybody else and you cannot recover what you've lost, it's time to come see the king. Amen. When everything has failed, try Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When everything has failed, come talk to the king. And she came along, and it was no coincidence. Coincidence that Gehazi, who was the servant of Elisha, was standing there talking to King, probably King Jehoram. He was talking to him and telling him a story about a lady that, that Elisha had prayed for and her son had been healed. And this lady comes walking up about right then and said, excuse me, I need to interrupt you, but King, I need your help. And he looks at her and Gehazi said, hey, this is the lady. This is the one. There's her son. The king said, we're going to take care of everything. We're going to take care of everything. When everything else fails, uh, amen, try Jesus, come to Jesus. Amen, and he'll restore. I can't restore you. I wish I could do that thing. I can't give you the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The Bible says it comes as a... Spirit gives the utterance. I can't heal you, but I can pray for you and he can heal you. I can't deliver you, amen, but I can pray, lay my hands on you and God can deliver you. I can't cast the demon out, but I can pray and God will take that thing out of you. I can't restore you, but God can restore you. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Did I say it was about done? Did I say that? I think it's in Philippians where Paul says, and finally, brethren, about three times. <laughs> I talked about this not too long ago. people of Israel had been horribly, horribly, horribly destroyed. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple had been burned. That great and beautiful temple of Solomon's had been destroyed. The fire was so intense, the historians say that the gold ran through, the, there was a lot of gold in the temple, ran through the cracks in the streets. Oh, it was a terrible, terrible time. The story is told, and I, I can't, I haven't been able, I've worked to try to confirm this, but, but I, I don't know, but the, the story is told, and I, I mentioned this not too long ago. The story is told that when the, the, the 50,000 or so that were taken as captives from Jerusalem to Babylon, that the soldiers of Nebuchadnezzar took them 
and he made them walk through outside where the battle had been fought. And there were piles of bodies that were, were there, uh, stinking and, and, and vile and, and, and a horrible, horrible thing to see. And they walked through the midst of those bodies and they could see their brothers and their sisters and their cousins and their own family that was laying there dead. And the soldiers told them, this is a story, the soldiers told them, when you walk, you need to hold your head up. You can't close your nose. You can't close your eyes uh, because if you do, we'll kill you. You have to look uh, at what we have done to you. It was the height of humiliation. It was the height of defeat or the depth of defeat, if you will. They went into Babylon. And then the Bible says that Ezekiel had a, had a vision. And he was taken to a valley of bones. And they were exceedingly dry bones. There was no flesh. There was no muscle. There was nothing on them. And it was the place of Israel's humiliation. It was the place of Israel's defeat. Amen. And God said, I want to show you where you were defeated. But I want you to speak. Amen. And when he began to speak, flesh came back on the bones. And he said, speak to the wind. And when the wind began to blow, oh, it's such a type of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the restorative power of the Spirit of God there. And, and, and life came back in them. They were an exceedingly great army. Amen. And the humiliation was taken away. And the shame was taken away. Because God restores all the things. And you can stand with me right now. We're going to close. And all the things that happen. All the things we deal with. And all the things we go through. The humiliation that we deal with. And the, the battles that we fight. And the defeats that we have. Amen. God says, I'm going to restore you. Oh, sometimes we need to remember where we came from. But God said, I'm going to restore you. Sometimes there needs to be a little bit of a memory of the thing that God has brought us out of. God said, I'm going to restore you. Beautiful city of Japan, Hiroshima. In the midst of it is the atomic dome that reminds them what happened that day on August the 6th, 1945. But the city has been restored. Amen. After a terrible atomic bomb exploded over that city. And sometimes we need to have something right there that says, remember where you came from, but I am the God of restoration. Oh, God, help us. Hallelujah. I know that God wants to take that grief and take that pain and cleanse it from your body and cleanse it from your spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, let's begin to worship the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Jesus. 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 We need you, Lord. 
Oh, touch us, Lord. Touch us, Lord. I would that you would gather in and just begin to pray. God, I want the things restored in my life. Hallelujah. Would you gather to the front? Make your way to the front. Just stand here and raise your hands to the Lord and say, God, there have been things that the enemy has taken away from me. There have been things in my marriage that I want restored. There's things in my life I want restored. Amen. There's health that has been attacked by the enemy. And God, I pray right now that you will touch me and that you will help me. God is the God of restoration. He's in the business of restoration. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, let's reach out to him. Oh, let's reach out to him. 